Welcome back into another episode of the All Ball Podcast, the NBA playoffs round two underway. Um, but before we get to that, we'll get right into it. George, you want to talk a little bit about the Clippers and the game seven against the Dallas Mavericks that we saw over the weekend? Yep. Yeah, I, I was, uh, you know, I was impressed with the Clippers as a whole, the whole unit, um, the whole team. And I think that their team showed up and the Mavericks didn't. And I think, you know, Kawhi was great. Luka was amazing. Um, you know, I was watching the Luka thing. And you remember a couple weeks ago when I was saying I might take Luka over LeBron and you were like, come on, come on. And, and then when we made the top 15 list, I sort of backed off it. But now I wish that I sort of wish that I'd held strong on it because, um, you know, and, and I don't know how much Lakers stuff we're going to do, but it, I think you saw that LeBron without AD, um, you know, he was good in, in that game six, but Luka was better in his game seven. And they're both sort of working with, underwhelming supporting cast so I, I do think um you know a lot of people have tried to like prematurely anoint other players is better than LeBron but I do think at this point in time uh it's probably for real this time between like a Durant a Kawhi potentially a Luka all all possibly being better than LeBron but anyway I, I think ultimately what the game seven boils down to is THJ Porzingis Cleaver and Josh Richardson one of 17 from three um the Richardson for Seth Curry trade was a disaster I never really understood it in the first place. I feel like Seth is exactly the type of player that people want. Um, and then Reggie Jackson, Marcus Morris, Kennard, and Terrence Mann, 15 of 25 from three. And so that's kind of it. You know, like, you know, you talk about Luca, you talk about um, Kawhi and Paul George, and the superstars tend to be the conversation. But at the end of the day is their role players hit threes, their role players didn't, and that's sort of how the game was decided. And to me, there's not much more than that. Um, I'll, I'll... – I'll preface it more with the. Uh, I didn't think it was completely on the the other starters because I thought they've had like solid outputs. It wasn't as efficient as the Clippers did. But when you look at the benches, the Clippers bench outscored Dallas's bench twenty seven to six in this one. Dallas's bench shot three of eleven from the field, zero of four from three, while the Clippers shot ten of twenty from the field and six of eleven from three. So it's a little bit of what you were saying. You had some of those guys in there. I just wanted to preface it more that it was I thought a lot more let down by the benches or the bench for Dallas and a lot more elevated. Like you said, Luke Kennard, who really wasn't a factor in the first yeah, in the great. first five games, came in in game six a little bit. I think game seven he has, and he has continued that on in game two, in game one last night against the Jazz, which we'll get to later. Well, it's like, well, Boban and Finney Smith played well, but Hardaway Jr. and Porzingis kind of no-showed. Yeah, I mean, like, for what you were expecting, from what you had seen early on when they had success, like we talked about uh, a couple weeks ago or last week, um, THJ, Tim Hardaway Jr. was going off and that was leading to them going up to nothing. He was shooting. He was scoring over 24 a game. He was shooting very efficiently. And then Porzingis, this is this is just the underlying thing is that he's been they they traded for him, gave up the assets needed for somebody to be coming and be the number two next to a clear cut guy that could be the number one that we think at this point in Luca. And he just hasn't been that. And, yeah, you can look at and when it's like when I say he put up the numbers, I mean, he put up 12 points. It's, it's not like he put up a complete dud, but it's not something that you look on. and You're like, OK, like he's yeah. absolved of them losing. No, definitely not. He was and he was an all star once before. You know, I, I feel like. um I feel like that seems like a distant memory at this point and something that will potentially very possibly never happen again, especially with how talented the league is. So, um, and then, you know, Marcus Morris, like I said, like seven of nine from three, yeah. just like if he's going to shoot like that and THJ who in his defense looked like he suffered an injury early in the game and then ended up playing. So, you know, mm -hmm. who knows, but I mean, if he's going to make 
because if he's going to make six more threes than you, I mean, and the same amount of shots, then yeah, it's going to hurt. Um, so I think I will, final thing about the Clippers is just that uh, they suddenly with Kennard playing a little bit, Batum looking good. Um, all of a sudden they're like seven or eight deep. Mm-hmm. And I thought they only had two players. And, and so, you know, that's interesting. The roster looks good. Um, and we'll see if that carries over. I, you know, they lost game one, but we'll see. Yeah, well, to be determined about the two players thing. We'll get to that later though. Uh, I want to say one more thing. Luca right now is Patrick Mahomes on the rookie deal. He is like, and the, the Mavericks got one more year before his cap hit makes a significant jump before he even signs his next deal. And they need, they need to put better pieces around this roster for them to compete. It, it'll probably be less, even when he makes his deal, it'll probably be less than what he should make. Similarly to how we look at Patrick Mahomes, even though he gets the $50 million a year contract, you're like, Oh, that's still, and you look at the structure of the contract, whatever. Mm-hmm. And you put better pieces around him because his number two and number three and number four options are all below average what you want. And this is a guy that can be, and we project to be a guy that can be a number one option on a championship level team. And they're, yeah, they're wasting it out right now. It's just sort of a, uh, sort of just like a weird collection of players. I agree with what you said. It's like, you know, Porzingis is not a second option. He's a third, maybe a fourth on a truly great team. Hardaway Jr. sometimes looks like the second option, and he's realistically a fourth option. Um, so, you know, I'm not entirely sure what they're going to do. Um, they sort of they have money tied up in Borzingis. They're soon to have a lot of money tied up in Luka. They can look to be aggressive in the offseason and see sort of what players are able to move around. But I don't exactly know what top-tier player you're going to get or, or if you're just going to find another Hardaway Jr. caliber player and then you're sort of in the same place that you started. Well, I'm trying to, I'm looking at right now. What I think, yeah, Hardaway Jr. is off the books now. So that's, that, you're clearing off a bunch of money right there. I mean, he's, his cap hits $18 million. A but, year I would, but I would resign him if I was them. Maybe yeah. get him for, for less money than I, maybe I'd get, get him in like a four years, 48 or something like that. But he's yeah, good. Maybe. He's a solid player and he's somebody that you would like because of his shooting. Obviously, it's not, a, it's a little streaky at times, but that's the type of guy that you want stretching the floor with Luka Doncic. But yeah, at the eighteen million dollar, that's that's what you pay a third a third option or a low end two option, and that's not what you're getting out of him and what you're expecting out of him. So yeah, the twelve million dollar year I think works out better. Now over to the other Los Angeles team, the Lakers, the defending champs, or yeah, still the defending champs mm-hmm. were eliminated game six, and honestly wasn't close the last two games. The team just didn't have juice at all and not nearly enough shooting, in my opinion around this team i mean there was just so many times where they would show lebron getting guarded and the four guys behind the one guy guarding lebron were just really at the edge of the paint they weren't really respecting these shooters at all and they were just really converging on him and they just i think they need to get more shooters in the offseason i think that's pretty self-explanatory yeah. this space, nah. spacing has been king in this in this playoffs and teams like the phoenix suns the atlanta hawks the utah yeah. Jets, the brooklyn nets who have four or five guys at a time on the floor that can stretch it are the teams that are, that are just killing it right now that are dominating these other teams. And the Lakers just didn't have any of that. When you look at their roster, I mean, who do you really look at? And you're like, okay, this is a guy that we really need to worry about. Wesley Matthews, Casey. There's no, there's no one who you hold in that upper echelon of of truly good, you know, 40% type three point shooters. And I think you sort of have to look at um, Palenka, the Lakers GM and look at that off season and say, Harrell was a huge miss. Mm -hmm. Um, barely played Gasol, you know, it just, it's too, it's too many seven footers. And then the Schro- the Schroeder thing for me never worked that well. I mean, I know that 
he, he would, you know, put up decent looking numbers, but for me, it never really made a ton of sense. Yeah. I just think, um, I agree. I agree with what you said. I mean, you know, if you know, and you saw in the finals last year that when you really, really need to win, you play AD at the five and then you go and add Harrell and Drummond and Gasol. So, whereas you really need shooters, you know, it's like Caruso is playing like 25 minutes a game. It's like uh, Matthews is playing a lot. Horton Tucker. Markeith Morris. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just like, so many different guys that you're not really expecting. And like we were saying with like Luca and stuff like Dorian Finney, Smith, THA, these are like fourth options, third or four, fourth options for the most part. That's what these guys are. And like when the, you, especially the Hawks, when you have AD out. Like, the Hawks for, for me are, are, are a perfect example of like a, a super, super modern team. It's like you have Trey, you're, you're a primary ball handler. You have Capella, you're sort of like rim running five. And then you have all these guys. You have Bogdanovich, Gallinari, Herder, Hunter, you know. Um, even, Collins these, can, even Collins can shoot. Yeah, hundred percent. And so, and but, and the four guys I listed are genuine, you know, forty percent threats. Yeah. Whereas the Lakers are more like thirty percent guys. It's like, it's like, I'd much rather collapse off Markeith Morris than collapse off Bogdanovich. And so, there's a reason that the Lakers games look so clogged. Mm-hmm. And when, yeah, when you compare it to what Phoenix has, it's like you got Mikael Bridges, you got Cam Johnson, you got Crowder, who was who was really bad early on in this series from three, but then just obviously it, the pendulum switch it swings at one point. I think he was like one of 20-something from three in the first like three or four games. But then the pendulum switched to the other side and he just got hot. And it, I don't want to absolve him anything because this team wasn't really constructed that well around them, but the short turnaround, they just seemed to run out of steam. Phoenix just ran them off the floor by the time the sixth game came around and it wasn't even competitive. They didn't have the perimeter guys to match up against uh, Phoenix in particular. Like Caruso might've been the only somewhat reliable defensive guy against the perimeter, but it didn't stop at all. It didn't hamper Devin Booker from just getting anything he wanted Mm -hmm. and pretty easily in that in that respective in this team it just seemed overmatched at this point especially when ad went out and that's where it's like when you don't when you don't have necessarily the shooting or the the solid three or uh, like guys that are more fourth options on probably a championship team you need that guy that's a 2a or a 1b if you get what i'm saying with like how like the tiers of players that where you the hierarchy of a player on a championship caliber team, which AD is either a two A or one B. Yeah, and then it's also like for the Lakers, you know, it's like there was never that Schroeder, like thirty point game. There was, and could like people maybe thought Kuzma would be that guy. You know, great teams have that rogue guy who can give you um, like the Suns will get to uh, in a little bit four starters with twenty plus in game one. Yeah. Um, and I just feel like you know Horton Tucker. Uh, more hype than production. Kuzma, you know, the same could be said. And I just, you know, they sort of lack that. So I'm interested to see what they do. I think they need to go out and get, um, like I said, I never liked the Schroeder thing. So you go out and you get, like, and you lose a guy like Danny Green for agency, who's the type of player you need. Um, yeah, no, I, that's the type of guy that you thought of. Like, that was a the guy they had last year. That was, I, I think, that I was think, key for them. Even I think though KCP, KCP outplayed Green in the finals, and they just sort of said, okay, we're going to move forward with KCP. KCP didn't really have a great season either. So no. I, I think, uh, you know, be interested to see what they do. Like, they could have used a guy like Gallinari. Yeah. I mean, K, KCP, the, the one annoying thing, well, I'm looking right now, J.J. Redick, his contract's up at the end of the season. Like, that's somebody that you think of, and, like, that's – but when I when you were speaking on KCP and like Kuzma, Kuzma was so bad in Game Six. He was just forcing it too much. He just 
and he wasn't producing at all. Uh, and then you go to KCP and throughout the entire series, I thought he was so hesitant to shoot the ball. And there were times where they cut to LeBron, like telling him, shoot the fucking ball. Like there was, I think one clip in game two or whatever, or game one, where KCP passed up two or three like shots that he should have taken. The Lakers end up calling a timeout shortly after and LeBron's in his face, like telling you, like just speaking to him saying like, I- I'm pretty sure asserting shoot the ball. He's not telling him really anything else because it wasn't like he was getting beat defensively. It wasn't like he was missing guys. It was the guy was open and he wasn't deciding to shoot. And that just leads to so many different issues because that's a guy that when you look at this Lakers team, that's one of the guys that you see as somewhat of a competent shooter. Yeah, well, KCP is literally the best shooter on the team. Um, yeah. So what's well, funny that you mentioned Reddit because now I'm thinking like, oh, what if he played in Mavericks series? They might have won. Yeah. Um, kind of forgot he existed honestly um because he, he got he got traded through a fit and then like never played mm-hmm. like so. yeah no uh, yeah that was honestly the biggest news that you heard from him all season yeah literally um all okay. right let's let's go to the series that are actually happening let's start with uh let's start with philly because you know they they played last night um for me that biggest headline after two games is that Embiid is averaging 39 and a half through two games and i know I know, you know, personally when he got hurt or rumored to be hurt, I sort of said, okay, the season's over. They're downplaying it. Like it's just this classic 76ers. They get hurt. You know, they sort of have a built-in excuse when they lose and he's just going to be a shell of himself. Well, I was clearly wrong. He's looked unbelievable. Took 16 free throws last night um, and is being every bit of the dominant, you know, MVP type player that they need him to be if they want to win the series. Yeah. The Hawks have literally no answer for him. And it's, it's, Interesting to see because as both Nick fans, we watched every game of that series and Clint Capel was just an absolute menace around the boards. And now you see the other side of it where he just can't even, he can't handle Joel Embiid. And the fact is when you don't have that, the the double teams are pretty late with it and Embiid's doing a good job of either forcing himself into the lane early on in that. And he's asserting himself down low early on in the possession. So it's not like he needs to spend time working himself, working Clint Capel and banging down low. He's just making his move there or he's finding the guys open for threes because they've construct this team a lot better around him outside of like the changes out around there outside of Simmons with Seth Curry, who has caught fire Danny green. Like we just mentioned with the clip with the, as he left the Lakers and then Tobias Harris can shoot threes. So um, the ability for to stretch the floor is key for that. Um, Yeah. And Capella just, again, can't handle him. He doesn't have the body to bang with him down low and it's really impressive that he's looked as impressive as he has in the first two games despite the injury concern that you had there yeah I think the difference between Randall and Embiid is that Randall's more of a face to the basket and Embiid's more of a back to the basket player so I I sort of think that the Hawks were better equipped to deal with the face to the basket I need to start 15 to 25 feet away versus Embiid you know when he's at his best he's getting it on the block and he's even been shooting it well too you know, that's somebody who's a lot more playoff tested than Randall. I mean, there's a whole multitude of reasons that uh, Embiid is better than Randall. I'm not, not you know, trying that. to compare the, Yeah, yeah, not trying to necessarily <laughs> compare the two, but it is, you know, Randall was shut down and Embiid has been the opposite. Um, yeah, no, I knew when you looked at when you looked at what Randall did in the regular season, it was a big man that's able to do his work around the basket for the most part of the mid range area. And he averaged over 37 points. It's not like this is a new problem that Philly's had or that Atlanta's had throughout the season. And now you're going up against the, the, 
first or second best player in the NBA from this past season and the first or second best uh, big man in the NBA from this past season. Um, And again, they have no answer for it. But then when you go to the flip side with the Hawks, I mean, when you look at game one, I don't know what Philly was doing, putting Danny Green on Trey Young. I, he couldn't fight over the screens well enough and he doesn't have the quickness to, I thought to recover. I, I thought they should have gone with Simmons and they tried to do that out of the break in the, in the second half. It was a little late to that, but then Ben Simmons got into foul trouble early or not foul trouble early, but like he got two quick fouls coming out of the half against Trey and it really mitigated that. So they had to put Danny Green back on there, but they, in the main thing when I saw with game one is that, like we saw a bunch with in the Knicks series is that Atlanta loves to run the pick and roll. That's their bread and butter. They like to then use their three shooters, three other shooters they have on the floor to space it and force it to be a two man game, two defenders versus two, uh, two guys on offense. And they think that Trey and Capella will do better than your two. And Philly just didn't do a good job of mitigating any of the things. When you go to the pick and roll that they'd have, it's either you have uh, a three, a three-pointer either from Trey or passing it, a floater or a lob, and they just didn't defend any of that. If you're if you're a pro Sixers guy, then you can just sort of say they weren't ready for the Hawks. They got punched in the mouth in the first half, and they let up 70. And ever since that, they've been, you know, probably plus 30-ish for the rest of the series for, like, the, the, the last three halves of basketball. So, um I, I and I honestly sort of buy that. I sort of buy that. I think um, it's fun. It's funny how quickly like a game can swing your opinion, at least for me, because at, you know in the first half of game one, I sort of thought, "Wow, the Hawks could really win this series," and I sort of thought that going into the series. But now what I see from Embiid in two back-to-back games, and, and I'm sort of led to believe that the Sixers can win. But it's super close, and, and we have to talk about Shake Milton, who was amazing last night, five of eight from the field. Four or five from three, 14 points, plus 15 in only 14 minutes. And I think the key point about Milton is that they have needed someone in that role to be successful for a long, long time. Sort of the missing piece of that roster. And so between Maxi or Milton, Maxi hasn't been that great this season, but you need that guy off the bench, that six man who that six man point guard who can score 15 points for you in only 20 minutes in what and that's sort of the missing piece to keep up with a team with as much offensive firepower as Atlanta. So, you know, they needed it last night and they got it. Yeah. I mean, when um, in game one, when the bench came out, they had a five man bench unit because doc rivers kept all the starters out there for longer than needed or longer than they had been because they got out to a, a, a short start. Um, and instead they took out Tobias and Ben and didn't leave either of them on the floor. The bench unit was in the middle of a 17 0 run by the Atlanta Hawks. They were, the, they were the people on the floor for the middle of that. And by halftime of game two, Atlanta had outscored Philly's bench 32 to nothing. So it wasn't like they were like, that was the, that was another big part of it is that their bench for Philly was not competing at all with Atlanta. Meanwhile, Atlanta, you have Gallo Herter and Lou will combining for 32 points on 11 of 19 shooting and six of 12 from three in game one. And then game two Gallo and Herter 21 and 20 respectively on 15 of 25 shooting and eight of 14 from three. And, and so that's where Milton comes in. He's just, that's so key for them. Yeah. Well, and if you don't, if you don't stagger someone of like Seth Curry and Tobias and Embiid, and if they're all out at the same time, you're you, mean Sim- you mean Simmons? No, I mean, Seth Curry. I'm oh. talking about offense. Oh, okay. um, Seth Curry, Tobias, Embiid. Um, if you don't, if you don't stagger those three guys minutes, you're basically saying, okay, Maxi, you need to score because Simmons isn't going to score. 
Um, and, and, you know, like Dwight Howard isn't going to score. Tybo isn't going to score. So if you take out your three best scorers, then um, hey, you're going to be in trouble. You're placing a lot of pressure on a rookie or Milton. No, on Simmons, I mean, last night, four, three, and seven. Um, took a Joe Ingles performance, you know? Um, and I think, and I'll sort of come back to this uh, when we talk about the Nets Buck series, but I just sort of think it highlights um, like offense is a lot more important than defense. A guy like Simmons, he's only giving you so much of it if that's a stat line. Um, I, so, I, I guess I think it would more of is just the producing of offense. Just, yeah, he might not have the scoring output, but I mean, seven assists and only two turnovers. Like I'll take that any day, the three and a half assist to turnover ratio. I'll definitely take that in that, in that regard. But yeah, I do agree in that, in the perspective of scoring output, if you have Dwight Howard out there and you have Ben Simmons, then you're really packing the paint down low. Um, yeah, but once alone, let me pull just one thing from the box score last night. Yeah, Danny Green had eight assists. So, and zero turnovers. Oh, my God. Yeah. Maybe get more from him. Oh, uh, yeah. He, at least he shoots threes. Oh, my God. Um, one of the things I did see, though, is that the, the, the fact that they don't have DeAndre Hunter in this series for Atlanta is very glaring on this team, especially when you see Solomon Hill is the guy that, they, that you're bringing out instead of him as the starter, both offensively and defensively. I mean, I saw multiple times throughout the Knicks series where there'd be key stretches and DeAndre Hunter would create his own shot and get a bucket there. And then on the defensive end, he'd match up against Derrick Rose, Julius Randle, RJ Barrett, all these different body types. And you don't really have somebody to throw at them now at mm-hmm. the, at the Sixers. Now you don't have somebody to throw it Tobias Harris that you really feel good about. You don't have yeah, Tobias is Tobias is getting buckets like, for real. Um, and I, I, that's a great point. Cause like, I was thinking like a, like a herder of Bogdan Gallinari can't really guard him. The hunter is exactly what you need. Yeah, and he's yeah he's the best. I got yeah he's the best defender, the best perimeter defender on the team. And when you don't have that against these guys, where especially a team that has two wing guys that are bigger that predicate their offense on kind of being or mainly Simmons predicating on getting on using his body, but also but also Tobias, and that's your weak spot on your team. This becomes even more of a glaring glaring hole that it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Uh, going forward so now heading over to Brooklyn versus Milwaukee Brooklyn's up two nothing in this series and like you said offense just seems to be more important than defense and Brooklyn stars have significantly less holes in their offensive game and it completely shows because you don't know what you're going to do against Kyrie and KD I was surprised in game two when I saw that Drew Holiday was on Kevin Durant I, I don't know it just I don't, it didn't work out well for them. And it just, I thought the biggest plus that Drew Holiday brought was that he was the perfect guy to go, go up against Kyrie. And they, they just completely mitigated that. Um, the ball movement from Brooklyn has been elite. I mean, it just seems like every pass they get, it's the next pass over. And it's similarly to when you see the spacing, there's just so much space around them and they have these guys that can shoot the ball really well, not even just Kevin Durant and Kyrie. And, um, and Joe Harris, but even Blake Griffin saying threes, Bruce Bowen, Mike James, Landry Shamit, like all these guys are hitting threes. They have the spacing. They have the two stars that can get, that could cause an issue for this de- for the Milwaukee defense at all times. And it's just causing a recipe. And that's why they've won by 20 plus in both games. I think. Yeah. I think, um, Oh, eight in game one, but it was like at, in the fourth quarter, 
I mean, it was it was yeah, pretty, no, that, it was that pretty out of was, hand at that point. Yeah, that game was over. I think um, – where do I start? I think what well, you said it is very true about, like, you thought it's, – it's funny because you thought that Brooklyn might be the ISO-heavy team. And really, if anything, it's been Milwaukee. And Brooklyn's been the one moving the ball well. You know, if you're, you're just seeing Middleton, who's taking these ridiculously tough shots and not making many of them, and, and Holiday the same, I think, you know, that's the first thing is that both of these guys, you know, I've been saying this for a while, and I just sort of like, these are not shot creators. They don't have any shot creators. You know, I just think – um and man, it's just, you know, it's, it's been super, super frustrating for me to watch this Bucks team. It's just like, there's so much that I don't like. Um, and, and it highlights the unimportance of defense. And it's just sort of like, you know, a guy like Holiday, right? Who like analytics people love, but he looks terrible out there. He can't score. And if he was so good at defense, then Durant, then Durant and Kyrie wouldn't be going off every game, shooting 50%. And, and um, you know, Giannis, Defensive Player of the Year. I never see him on KD. It's always P.J. Tucker. Um, it just – it just, you know, it's um, – I mean, I get why that's not the case. I mean, we haven't gotten down to the nitty-gritty of, like, a fourth quarter where it's, like, a close game, and then we'll see if Giannis goes on him. But I get, like, early on in the first or second quarter and just not tying yourself out by going on KD because KD is guarding um, – just, you know, whoever, PJ Tucker, Pat Connaughton, yeah. like those guys. And it's not an issue because they're winning these games. And on flip side, Milwaukee's losing them. And that's why you're looking at, like, why isn't Giannis guarding this guy? But I get why they don't want to tire him out just running around KD and having to worry about and pressing on that. I'm, that I'd, be, I'd be interested in the fourth quarter if it's a close game. If Giannis isn't on him, then that, I think that'll say something because that's that's the moment where he needs to step up and, and take the I ball just, by the horns. I just think, like – it's just been it's just been a super tough watch, and I mean, you know, Harden got hurt in the in the first quarter of Game One, and you're thinking, okay, here's the Bucks' chance. They just stayed afloat in the first quarter of Game One, where I kept waiting for them to pull away, and, and you and you know it was tied at the end of one. And um, man, it has been a tough, tough watch, um, honestly. And, and you know, I don't like the Nets because I'm a Knicks fan and they're <laughs> annoying. And it's like you know that's like an added layer, but it's like. Yeah, there are a lot of things I don't like. You know, I don't like how Blake Griffin looks like the reincarnation of Draymond Green after, like, you know, mailing it in for half a season in Detroit or, you know, a couple seasons, rather. Uh, I just, you know, I don't like that Harden doesn't even have to play. And this is what people were talking about was going to be the best, you know, series of the playoffs. Um, and I don't like that. I feel like it's like a foregone conclusion that the Nets are going to win at this point. Um, and, like, yeah, like, I'll, I'll admit it. I don't want the Nets to win the title. Um, so... Yeah, it's just been like it's just been like annoying to watch, honestly. Um, so yeah, I mean they're a great team, you know. They'll probably win it all. I mean, but look, yeah, I agree with you on the Blake point about like how he was just a nothing in Detroit and kind of gave up. It was the same reason why it, when people were talking about Harden possibly winning the MVP, it just was never really a point for me because I don't forget about the early well, part and, of the season. And, you know, like let alone the fact that they're literally amazing without him. Mm-hmm. So clearly he's not the most valuable player. That too. But I mean, I, I respect him a lot because he's been diving on the ground for loose balls. He's been working his ass off on the off and he's been hitting shots. He's done it efficiently. Yeah, um, he's played his role really well. So I, I hate him for that beginning part, but the way he's played in the same way with Harden, like I love the way that he's adapted and played with this team. It's still frustrating to see. I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying that Griffin, like, like, here's the thing. 
I'm not necessarily saying that Griffin was like not trying in Detroit. I don't think that's necessarily true. You know, you go from being the focal point to being the guy who is fitting in where he can and he's getting amazing looks mm-hmm. and he's not being relied on as heavily on offense. We so can play more defense. I just like, you know, gone are the days of making a trade to better your team. Like I was talking to some of my friends who are Sixers fans last night and they were talking about, you know, their big, their big trade acquisition, George Hill, who's, you know, you know, like an eighth man, seventh man. Yeah. But the thing is, is like all the biggest acquisitions were for free. Andre Drummond was for free. Blake Griffin was for free. I don't really like that because it's just like the rich get richer halfway through the season every single time when teams decide to pack it in and then they can just go sign wherever they want and they're still getting their big salary from the teams that cut them in the first place. Mm -hmm. So I just like, you know, look, I have to say, if it was the Knicks with KD, Kyrie, and Harden and signing Blake Griffin, yeah, I mean, I'd be down for it, like 100%. But I'm seeing it happen to a team that I don't like and um, (laughs) – yeah, I don't like it at all. I really don't like it at all. So I hope they lose. You know, it seems a bit um, hopeless, really. But, like, yeah, you know, um, I it's been a tough watch, like I said. Super tough watch. Yeah, I mean, with Milwaukee, I just – Brooke Lopez is a negative. He's too slow on defense when he wants to get out there. And he doesn't use his height advantage nearly enough on offense to make it – to make – Brooklyn want to at least think about changing up their 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 play style and how they do I thought the, early, they do I thought early in game one he looks aggressive mm-hmm. I haven't really seen it since yeah exactly and then Middleton again like you said hasn't shown up at all I mean I'm not sure why there are times where he has like Mike James or a or Bowen on him and he doesn't he struggles or is hesitant to take advantage of that on offense and it just doesn't make sense that is the look I feel like you should be trying to get you're not trying to get it to anybody else. You're trying to get your second best player against their fourth or fifth best player on defense. And they're just not taking advantage of that. Meanwhile, when you look on the other side, when Kyrie gets Pat Connaughton on him, he's attacking it every time. And it's not just he's he's not just looking to score. He'll get by him. He'll force the other guy to come up and he'll make that next pass. And I don't know yeah. if this means that maybe Giannis needs to play center and maybe they aren't running it because Dante DiVincenzo's out and he would have caused another option for them defensively to match up with somebody. But it's not like Giannis is guarding somebody that's uber talented on offense for the most part. But Giannis at center, I think, poses a lot more issues and allows for a lot more spacing on this team um, than, the, than they're given. And then Drew just Drew's just been pretty invisible on offense. I just, he, I, he's just been non-existent for them. Yeah, and just to go back to the Drew thing, you know, um, it's like you listen all regular season and for like years now about how underrated this guy is, but he's not that good in the, in the playoffs. Like, like I said, Kyrie's still getting his with, without a problem. And then, you know, obviously KD's still getting his. And so I just think like, it's like, I was thinking about this the other night, like, you know, I feel like analytics people, they love like Ben Simmons and they love Drew Holiday and they love Gobert. But if you put those three on the team, the team would not be very good because they would be incapable of scoring. So it, it just, um, man, it, you know, it's sort of like, it, there are a whole lot of things. I think Budenholzer has to go, obviously, you know, it's just been like, a, it was fool's gold in the Miami series. It's just been an absolute disaster. I just, uh, Look, that Miami, my Miami team, similar to the Lakers, it could have just ran out of steam. This was the shortest turnaround yeah. in NBA history, and these were the yep. two teams in the finals. And it just, you know, offense is king, right? Like um, the Knicks were a you know, hard-nosed team. The Hawks are like, a, you know, offensive superpower, um, and, you know, wasn't even a series. Um, the Suns versus the Lakers, you know, the, the Suns overpowered them. Um, 
Uh, yeah, just um, yeah. The Suns have so many different options to attack you on offense. The Lakers had one, and that was LeBron James outside of Anthony Davis, who was out for the last two games. Um, I, I mean, when you look at Drew, you're hoping it's what like you saw in Game Two between Milwaukee and Brooklyn, where Kyrie was eight of twenty-one, two of eight from three, and had four, four turnovers on six assists. Meanwhile, Drew was seven of sixteen, three of eight but he's the one that locked down Kyrie in that game. But the thing is like, that's a push right there where you just listed. That's a, it, but that's a win. If you look at it, it's like a push. That's a win. The same way when, when you look at, we'll get to Denver and Phoenix, but when Deandre Eaton has the same stat line as, yeah, well, as, as Nikola Jokic, that's a win, even though it's a push. But, but for, for me, it's a bit different because Eaton is the sun's third best player and Jokic is the sun's best player. Whereas Holiday and Kyrie are matching up third best player on third best player. Well, granted, Harden's not playing, but that's mm-hmm. sort of the difference for me. Is like, um, yeah, you'd be happy to push Aiton and um, Jokic because it, let's say you hypothetically just remove them both from the series, then the Suns would roll over them. But if you removed Drew and Kyrie from the series, I would still take the Nets mm-hmm. if Harden was healthy. Yeah, Which, yeah. Well, although maybe it doesn't even matter, especially with the role players playing like this. No, I completely agree. Uh, I completely agree with like how the role players are playing. And uh, yeah, that is a good point with that. Um, and then lastly, uh, I'm not sure why in certain rotations, Milwaukee will come off of a Kyrie, KD, Joe Harris to guard Blake and Mike James. So like they're swinging the ball, like Brooklyn swinging the ball around the perimeter and Blake Griffin's got an open shot and the, the next pass or the next option or the next rotation is the guy covering Kevin Durant and the guy's coming off to guard Blake Griffin. They swing it again and it gets to Kevin Durant for an open three and Kevin Durant's more likely going to make it. And most times it does. And it, it just felt like way too often they were coming off these guys that are worse shooters for the better shooters. And it, it was kind of baffling to me in that, in that aspect, I, I feel like there's needs to be more recognition that this is the guy that, that can kill us more. And I'll live and die by Blake Griffin killing us with threes than Kevin Durant. And I felt like I saw that way too often in this in game two specifically. So heading over to Utah versus the Clippers. Saw the first game last night. Utah came back and won after being down by 13 at half. Um, I mean, it was a tale of Utah lives and dies by the three as much as anybody that came out, shot five of 25 in the first. They were seven of 27 at half and then finished the game 17 of 50. So they were 10 of 23 in the second half significantly up from where they were at the first half and and the big proponent of that or the the catalyst of that was donovan mitchell who had 13 points on five of 14 shooting and two of eight from three in the first half and by the end of the third quarter he had 29 points so he had 16 points on six of eight shooting from the field and three of five from three in that quarter um yeah um an amazing performance from him clippers seem to be getting uh, exposed by team's best players you know they go from letting luca score 40 a game to uh, getting 45 on them in game one. Yeah. I, I definitely think that's a cause for concern. I think um, at the same time, you, know, you want to chalk that up to that was a short turnaround for us and the Jazz had a lot of rest, no problem. Um, Conley was out, which is a cause for concern, but the Clippers went down 2-0 last year. So uh, I, it's, it's definitely not a panic button moment at all for, um, for the Clippers. I think, you know, it's a game that they would have loved to have. I think if the Clippers took game one, had, had the Clippers not had a history of sort of blowing series like last year you would almost think okay they're definitely going to run away with this one mm-hmm. um i mean I, yeah it was going in the half i'm like you know what they just have too much talent they have too much talent compared to yeah. compared to the clipper uh, compared to utah and utah's just hoping that they shoot enough three and make enough threes to keep this close 
Yeah, and I think, um, you know, I thought it was interesting that Zubac was back playing more and Terrence Mann was back down to eight minutes. I wonder if they're sort of, I don't know, I don't know what exactly caused that. You know, why are you okay with going small against um, Porzingis and Marjanovic, but you don't want to do it against Gobert, who's not really an offensive threat either. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm going to be interested to see how that develops throughout the series. I mean, I'll, I definitively will say that Gobert in the in the in the close range area is definitively a bigger threat than the other than Porzingis and Marjanovic. Um, True. And not necessarily that Terrence Mann is the uh, Terrence Mann losing minutes is indicative of Zubac getting more minutes. It's I, I think it's a little bit different, more a little bit different in that aspect. I think it's more so about you know. Reggie Jackson getting less minutes, but Toom only played 21 minutes. I think those are the guys. There were a lot of Kennard minutes too, and he yeah. played well. I you know sort of he uh, he did like the sort of you know rise from the grave. Yeah, I mean their bench players early on it was their bench players establishing it, and by mostly through the second quarter, Kennard 11 points on four or five shooting, three or four from three. Cousins, who you were talking about, you didn't remember JJ Redick was in the league. I forgot. I completely forgot Cousins was on the Clippers before he subbed in, and he was actually pretty impressive with his three minutes. Then I thought he ran the floor well, had some good battles with Gobert in the post area. Um, in three minutes, he had six points, two of three from the field, and one of two from three point. He forced an offensive foul, forced a turnover, another turnover, and then Rondo, who had three points on one of like one of one, but two rebounds, two assists. It was the bench that was cleaning things up, and you know, I, I know you love playoff P but he had one of those games, just one of those games where it's just no, nothing, nothing happened at oh, all. And, and, and it, and it, it kind of came to came full circle in the fourth quarter when he's at the free throw line and the entire arena is chanting overrated at him. Just, Playoff. just thunderous. It was in, a, in another series with his arch nemesis, Joe Ingles. I mean, we're the playoff P backers really need this one. Um, and now I'll say, man, if you can get, I think, you know, gone are the days where you get 30 minutes from the Marcus Cousins, but let's say you get, you know, you said he played, you know, just a few minutes um, this time, but let's say he gets up to 12 to 15 minutes a game, you know, six minutes a half sort of in the like early second and like the late third, you know, something like that. I would love that. I think that gives him a great look. I think Zubac is a body, but he doesn't necessarily pose much of a threat on offense. You know, he's sort of, um, just in Cousins is that, you know, it's a very, very interesting wrinkle. And if you have Cousins has life and Kennard has life, now this team is like eight or nine deep, which is crazy to think. So it's just, um, it is very, very interesting. I cannot wait for that game too. And I think it should be a good series. And I would still take the Clippers to win the series, despite having lost game one. Because similarly to how Atlanta, despite the fact that they lost last night against Philly, they still split the series. That's all you're hoping for when you're the road team, especially in the first two games where you're just trying to flip home home court at this point. Going back to Cousins, uh, we'll, we'll start off with him getting like seven or eight minutes before because he had four minutes. It was like a three-minute stretch wow. early on. And he had three fouls in four minutes. So yeah. similarly with Zubac, Zubac had four fouls in 20 minutes. I mean, these are just bodies are just throwing at Gobert, just trying to either put him at the line where he's a pretty bad free throw shooter, but also just to, you know, just bang around with him for a little bit. Did was, you like how I just completely dodged the Paul George question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's 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 a political uh, political maneuver that uh, I, think, I think Donald Trump would be very, very proud of you. It's big series repeat. It's big series repeat. Anyway, let me talk about Cousins now. All right. So um, 
All right, unless you have, do you have anything else on that series? You um, I just I uh, Utah. I, I thought the the offensive rebounding edge eleven to three was. Uh, I just wanted twelve to. Oh, never mind. They they jump back when it was like late in the fourth. It was eleven to three. The the offensive rebound edge for uh, Utah. I thought that was a key, very key point. I thought there was a bunch of times where the game was in the balance and Utah just got one more rebound against against the Clippers and it led to an open three or just a bucket that just revitalized the crowd. And in the, when you have a crowd like that, similarly to MSG, when you give it another life, it, it picks up the players as well. And it gives them another thing to fight for. And there were just too many times I thought were all, where they got the offensive rebounds and it gave them more life. And that's how you punish a team for playing small ball. It's similar yeah, to um, how I was talking about how Brooke Lopez and Milwaukee aren't really hammering on Brooklyn for playing small ball, Utah did that in this game because they the Clippers would love to run out Marcus Morris as the five. And they had to play Zubach 20, 20 minutes. You had to play Cousins four minutes. Like the, that's 24 minutes that a 48 half of it where you need to play a center in there. Um, and it yeah. gets them out of their funk. And, um, and like you, like you mentioned earlier, they probably won't, shoot, the jazz probably won't shoot as bad in the first half as they did. Um, so yeah, and then, uh, then you then the counters that you don't think Kawhi and Paul George will be as bad. I mean, we'll see about Paul. We'll, we'll stop with him. But Kawhi was Kawhi was pretty bad in the first half too. So we'll we'll see about that. Yeah, Kawhi's probably just like, oh man, he's like realizing he's signing up for another, um, you know, six more games of having to guard Donovan Mitchell like he was guarding Luca. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's a serious two effort for Kawhi in a league where two two effort is is dying. So. I know Devin. I know Devin Booker's getting all the love because, and he rightfully so. He's been unbelievable, and they took down the defending champs. But Donovan Mitchell also has taken another step up, and we saw it early on. We saw it in that Memphis series. I mean, he's had big games in the playoffs, and we haven't seen it from Devin Booker because that was his like that was just his first series. But Donovan Mitchell again is just another level, especially from the three point range. And I think you know. I think Jamal Murray won the battle last year between Nuggets and Jazz. And, and, you know, then they also had the next series against the Clippers. So more people sort of left the playoffs, Jamal Murray, Jamal Murray, Jamal Murray. So I forget, Donovan Mitchell was as good, if not better, in that series. The only difference is that the Nuggets have Jokic and the Jazz don't. Um, so, you know, he's a, he's, a, he's a proven playoff performer at this point. Yeah. For, and for as young as he is, it's super, super impressive. Now, speaking of Jamal Murray... He's not playing, but we'll get to his team right now. Nice thank you. Thank you. Phoenix leads one, nothing. And you know, I'll hammer it down because I think these are the two biggest things, but outside of having the star power, which at this point, most of these teams have enough star power to win the title. You have to think so uh, spacing and ball movement. And for Phil, for Phoenix, it's just been absolutely great. They have the elite ball handlers, the orchestrators to run the offense consistently and well, which makes it even like a deadlier combo. You have Chris Paul and Paul and Devin Booker who are just constantly able to orchestrate this offense. And they have four guys on the court that can shoot the ball reliably enough where they're a threat on the court for most of the time outside of probably DeAndre Ayton. That's the only guy that you can look at this team and be like, okay, maybe, maybe like that's a guy you don't have to worry about shooting the ball, but he's also not positioning himself outside, outside the mid range area. And he had a couple of shots out in the mid range, like around the three, around the free throw line where he, he was able to make it. But I mean, they, like you said earlier on four guys that had 20 points and all of them shot over 55% from the field, Booker, Paul, Aiton and Bridges all shot yeah. over 55%. From a the massive, field. massive contribution from Bridges. You know, I think yeah. it's interesting to follow the sort of Bridges plus Crowder, you know, three and D thing you have going. They gave what, like 36 points out on pretty solid shooting. 
So I think, um, yeah, those guys were great. I think a big, big takeaway from me is because Chris Paul was putting up Ben Simmons stat lines for a couple of games during the LA series, you know, five points, eight points, um, and, you know, eight of 14, two of three from three, 21 points, six rebounds, 11 assists, one turnover, vintage Chris Paul. So if he's back, now they look like the best team in the West. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that was, a, you know, a bit unexpected. You know, I, it's never really, I, I never really, got the true diagnosis, not, not that I claim to be a medical expert on, on what the injury was. And it, it's not something that I expected to get better with time. I sort of figured like, you know, if it's a shoulder injury and you're like shooting and you're doing all this stuff, it's probably going to get worse before it gets better if you're, you know, playing, but um, I could be wrong or he could have just had a good game. You know, it's hard to say. Um, and I don't think he's a hundred percent either, but he could be easing his way back up to 85 or nine. So going back to what you're saying about Bridges first, I mean, he was the catalyst early on in this team for this team. Uh, I mean, Chris Paul wasn't good early on in this game, particularly scoring. I mean, and Bridges was the one that was carrying the load alongside Booker for the most part. And then Chris Paul uh, looked significantly better so much. better. Like it was a complete 180. I thought from what we saw in that Lakers series, um, specifically in the fourth quarter when they needed to for him to close this game out. And I think this is the role he was looking for in Houston. Not necessarily like the ultimate ball handler, but an offensive, but an offense that featured him a respectable amount and better ball movement around the team. So it was just everybody was involved. It wasn't just this one guy isoing, but it's to the point where he doesn't need to be the dominant guy. It doesn't need to be just completely on him. It can be Devin Booker. That's the main focal point, but Chris Ball has his moments. He picks and chooses. And when he smells blowing the water, he's the guy where two straight possessions, he comes down on the right lane, he gets a screen and, I think he's got Porter on one time and then Jokic on the other. And he just sauces him up in that mid range area where that's, that's his thing. And he hits two big, two big mid range shots uh, to strengthen the lead. And the biggest point I took away from when you look at the box score is the 11 assists to one turnover. The classic football classic, a guy that is so smart with the, I mean, they talked about on the broadcast that, or I saw on Twitter, I forget that he's like Alex Smith. I mean, I'll give him the benefit that he's a better, he's better than respectful. I know because, because they mentioned him as like the best game manager during the broadcast. And I think I saw the Alex Smith comparison, but he, 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 yeah, he's, he's a better, he's a better version of Alex Smith, but he's the guy where it's like, you know, like he's not losing you the game. I feel like where, where it's in sure hands. I feel like Alex Smith has like retroactively become overrated because like he had, he, you know, he had a couple good seasons in Washington and he was like the quote unquote, like torchbearer for Mahomes and, and you know, retroactively. He's had, it, he's had his moments. He's not, he's not on the, like when you think of the upper, when you think of the moment, or when you think of the hierarchy of NFL players, he's not to the level or even close to where Chris Paul is for NBA players. Has he ever won a playoff game? Alex Smith? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Wasn't he the, I'm trying to remember. Now I know that was Cap, but I think they won before that. Yeah, that's true. That's possible. I, I would bet that he's probably won about you know one or two playoff games. Yeah. But um, but just real quick, what was I going to say? Oh yeah, what you were saying about the uh, the Chris Paul Houston thing. I think the difference is that Houston had a um, a strong identity when he got there, whereas Phoenix was you know building an identity, but they didn't have that sort of veteran leadership. They didn't have someone to sort of take hold of the team and say this is how to win. They were a team that prior to going eight, zero in the bubble last year, which is a big turning point for their franchise, was pretty bad. So then he comes in and he says, let's take this, you know, forward momentum. Let's pair it with what I have and, you know, let's move forward. And it's been, you know, it's impressive. It's worked great. And I, I, I really like their team. I sort of like, 
I just like the mix of, you know, Chris Paul, the old with the new and then Aiton and Booker and Bridges. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the songs. Yeah, no, the team is a lot of fun to watch. It's uh, like I was rooting against them. Like I thought the, I was rooting for the Lakers in that last series, but now it's fun to watch them. And yeah, I'm not saying that Houston should have done something differently with how they ran their team. I mean, they were very successful and outside of Chris Paul, probably his hamstring injury and them going O of 20 and then a separate series going O of 27 from three, like they're, they're in the NBA finals and taking down one of the best teams of all time. Um, then as for Denver, I, I think the backcourt, the lack of scoring from the backcourt was very apparent and, you know, you had that in the Portland series as well, but Portland didn't have a good defensive team. So was, so they were able to counter that. But meanwhile, with Phoenix, they're, they're a good defensive team. This is a team that will make it difficult, make life difficult on you. And when Chris Paul and Devin Booker have pretty much what, what it, turnstiles at guarding them in Austin Rivers and uh, Campazzo, I mean, it's just – it's tough way to have that output. And especially when you have Aiton and Jokic putting up the same stat line. I mean, Jokic 22, nine and three, eight and 22 and 10, you can't have that. And it was yeah, just like, it was just Jokic like game 22 one. on like 23 shots is a, a shockingly inefficient game from somebody like him. Yep. And just like game one versus the Lakers with Anthony Davis, Aiton, Aiton came out to play. He yeah. elevated his game and he did it efficiently. He came out, he did no jokes and he was just going to take it to the best player or the second best player on the opposing team and be the difference maker in this one for yeah, when it uh, comes to the matchups. hundred uh, percent. And I honestly think, I know Jokic had a bad game, but and I don't want to say Booker had a bad game because his percentages were good, but maybe you could call it a quiet game. You know, it wasn't your, the 35s that he's been putting up the 45s even in game six. Um, so it, it's worrisome for the Nuggets. And you sort of remember that they're without Jamal Murray in a series like this, where it looks like the Nuggets might have, or sorry, it looks like the Suns might have more firepower paired with a lot better defense than what the Blazers have. So, um, yeah, it, it is a cause for concern for the Nuggets. But, um, yeah, I don't know. You know, I don't know. If you're getting this Chris Paul for the rest of the series, I'm about willing to call it over. But if it's going to bounce back and he's going to have 12 in game two, and Jokic puts up 35, who knows? So um, I think I think it's near a must-win for the Nuggets in game two. I mean, if you're a Denver fan, I mean, one win, that, ser- that one series win, like that that should be enough for you. Like, oh, obviously, it's not what you're expecting when you have Jokic in his prime, but with when you're missing your second-best player out for the yeah. season, I mean, they're missing Will Barton, too. He should be back later in the series, either next game or the game after that, who, who was a starter for them. And then, like, I mean, but when you're running out, Austin Rivers, who was – free like anybody could have had him come uh, like last month yeah. and then Campazzo who who that like I I'd never heard of this guy before this who season yeah um, like and he's playing he is starting for you he is playing what is this 36 minutes 36 he played tied with Jokic the most amount of minutes in game one for the Nuggets that's that that's the other guy I, and then defensively they're in they're in a serious bind there are so many times where the Suns come off a screen and Denver hedges hard and they weren't able to get back on Aiden, which forces the backside defender come up, commit hard. And Phoenix is making the, the cross court pass to the corner and bridges is, and it's bridges for the most part. And he finds them wide. he's wide open. And he's just making that three. And at that point, it's like, do you want bridges? Do you want Aiden? And I guess you have to live with giving up the three, but the corner three is one of the best shots in, in basketball that you can get. And it just constantly – it's this constant bind because their guards aren't getting over. Jokic is, is 
hard hedging and isn't able to get back quick enough. It's just a whole bind that they're in and going along with their offensive lack of firepower. I mean, if I had to guess this six games at max for this game, for this series, I could see it. I wouldn't be surprised if it's five. I would be surprised if it's a sweep though. Yeah. But I ask, you know, just, just to say something positive about the Nuggets, if you get Murray back at, you know, close to hundred percent and with the way Porter's developing, I kind of think that they'd be good enough to win it all next year. Yeah. I mean, you, that's where the, the Murray thing is huge because he got injured so late in the season. You just, you hope he's back to similar to where he was come playoff time next year. Cause it's like the ACL. I, I forget if it's just, if it's more than just the ACL, but that's still just a massive injury for a guy that's he, he's a good shooter, but I mean, his explosiveness is a very key part of it. Yeah. So, no, I agree. Okay. That's going to do it for us today. Uh, we'll be back next week discussing how these matchups are developing, whether some series are ending and we'll preview maybe even a, a conference finals uh, matchup by this time next week. We'll see. Um, yep. And maybe we'll have some NFL news. I don't know. We were a little late. It was like the Julio. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Um, do you have any Julio takes before we leave? I mean, it was just I, – I didn't want to do the Julio because, like, it's been so long since it happened. But, I mean, I, I just don't understand why Atlanta would do it. I I, I, I get the cap ramifications. I just don't understand the Kyle Pitts take and then trading Julio. I thought Kyle Pitts and Julio were just like – that would be just their thing. They're going all in for now, as opposed to punting it. Maybe they don't. They didn't have Justin Fields um, in the in in high regard. But I, yeah, that was a baffling one for me. I would have either tra- I, I then would have traded down in the draft. So and then Tennessee. This is this is a move they I, they needed to make. They didn't have. They let Corey Davis, Johnny Smith, all these guys go in free agency that yep. were um, their skill position players outside of AJ Brown. And if they wanted to compete in a division where the Colts got significantly better or not significantly better, but I think better, yeah, especially better. we'll and, see, but they got better. Yeah. Uh, or a higher ceiling, a higher ceiling oh, than, yeah, what they, than what they were last year. And then Jacksonville, you, you expect to be better. Texans are irrelevant at this point, but if you want to take that next step, especially given the fact that their secondary is awful, they let, and they let even more guys go from that secondary. Um, they needed to add more firepower on offense. And this was a minimal, uh, minimal expense yeah i think uh i think they were underratedly on the decline for all the reasons that you mentioned you know they, they've lost a lot of players it's been two years since the uh, afc championship game appearance um this is what you need to put you back up you know sort of draw you back to where you are and um do i think it's a bit of a you know like trying to uh prop up a sinking ship a bit but i, I do think that you know they could be good this year and I'm interested to see uh, how he looks on that team. Before this move, I was like, Colts are definitely winning this division. Now it's added a little bit of murkiness. It's given them yeah. a lot more life and a lot bigger of a chance. And it's it's put him up another tier. Obviously, adding Julio Jones, who's a top five, top three wide receiver in the NFL, still, even though he's 32, um, adds a lot more life to your team when it comes to division odds, conference odds, Super Bowl odds. So last thing, Colts or Titans? I'm going to go Colts. I, I like their coaching staff. I like, I like the addition of Carson. I like their defense. I like their yeah. offensive line. I, I just like too many more things about them. Um, I, I'm, if Arthur Smith is still in Tennessee, it's a different story, but I don't know what I'm going to get out of this new offensive coordinator. That's valid. 
you usually see these teams struggle. Like, like look at the Eagles, for example, and they lost right in their offense and they're up in the same sense. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with the Colts, too, for that same reason. All right. So until next week, when there's more NBA talk to come. Sounds good. Thank you for listening. Thank you.